0: Howdy, I'm Nolan Gray, Research Director for California Yembe, where we're hard at work, making California an affordable place to live, work, and raise a family. Welcome back to Abundance. In this episode, I chat with Rick Cole. He's the Chief Deputy Controller for the City of Los Angeles, where he oversees the accounting, paymaster, and audit functions of the nation's second largest city, and of course, where I live today. Rick has been all over the place in Southern California governance. He was previously a deputy mayor here in Los Angeles, city manager in Azusa, Ventura, and Santa Monica not all at the same time. And he was previously the mayor of Pasadena, where he's just launched a new city council run. Uh, in this episode, Rick and I discussed the future of metropolitan Los Angeles, how to turn sticky problems like parking and housing affordability into real workable solutions at the local level, and his future plans for Pasadena. And with that, onto the show. Great. Well, uh, Rick Hull, thanks so much for coming out Abundance. It's really a pleasure to have you here. I know that a lot of folks who really admire your work are, are regular listeners.
1: I'm much obliged. Uh, I'm interested in, in connecting with those listeners.
0: Yeah, well, so you have some big, uh, relatively recent news. Uh, you are running for city council in Pasadena. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I served in the city council uh, back in the 80s and 90s, and we made some real progress on uh, the general plan. We We rewrote the general plan from scratch, and we focused new development around transit centers and in the, the downtown. And uh, there's been something like 5,000 units of, of downtown housing built uh, because of that uh, that plan. We're, I'm now on the planning commission. And and frankly, I think that uh, the pastina has become resigned to the status quo and isn't doing the kind of innovative uh, groundbreaking leadership that it used to do. Um, that's frustrating and disappointing to me because I think, um, as I said in my opening video, to those who much is given, much is asked. And Pastina is extraordinarily well-resourced. It's a, it's a job center. Uh, it has transit. Uh, and so we really should be building the housing um, for the folks who work there and to support our economy and to, to do our regional fair share. We, to be fair to Pastina and... Uh, and, and my predecessors on the city council or my successors, depending upon uh, how you look at it. Um, we've done better than the surrounding towns of La Cunata, South Pasadena, Arcadia, um, San Marino. But that's a little bit like my, my old boss, Eric Garcetti's joke, that he was the most tech savvy mayor in America, uh, which is like being the tallest building in Canoga park um, <laughs> uh, to, to be, to have, a better record than uh, than the surrounding um, suburbs of Pasadena. It, it isn't saying enough. Mm. Uh, there's much more we can do, and uh, much more um, than I that I'm committed to do if I'm elected.
0: Well, and and I mean, of course, you're running to get back on the the council. But as as you suggested, you were on the council in the 80s and 90s, and uh, Pasadena did do some very innovative stuff. I mean, an issue that's very near and dear to my heart is the parking benefits districts and Mm -hmm. you know I think for maybe folks of my generation Pasadena has always been downtown Pasadena has always been somewhat a very posh outdoor almost outdoor mall right very very nice place but you know I mean as you know downtown Pasadena went through some hard times and there was a real larger generational project of turning that around and I think the experience that you all have had with parking demand management is kind of a model for other jurisdictions do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, ironically, um, uh, Donald Shoup gives a lot of credit uh, to Pastina as sort of inspiring uh, the groundbreaking national uh, work that he has done. We we actually um, had enormous resistance to the the very idea of charging for parking. We were very much um, in, in immersed in this uh, ideology that uh, that um, everyone is entitled to park for free, and In fact, uh, there was a legend at City Hall uh, that we had ordered parking meters back in the 40s, right after World War II, and that uh, they were never installed, and they were buried in the basement of City Hall, along with the public works director who had ordered them. Um, And it was such a pervasive um, legend that I once... Uh, after work one night went down to the basement and sort of began poking through the the doors to see if in fact there was any basis for it it turns out there was a basis the parking meters were not still in the basement Uh, but actually Pasadena did order parking meters in 1946 along with Glendale and Glendale installed them and the entire five member city council was summarily recalled so Pasadena decided maybe we won't put parking meters in. And I used to say that my three biggest achievements as mayor of Pastina were number one, the, the groundbreaking general plan that, that focused future development ar- around transit. Um, number three was uh, putting parking meters in old Pasadena. Uh, and the number two was not getting recalled for putting parking meters in old Pastina. And the goal wasn't to put parking meters. The goal was um, we had built um, as a city uh, three new public parking structures. Uh, they they also were innovative at the time. They had ground floor retail. They fit in remarkably well to the fabric of of our historic core. Uh, but they were empty because people were driving around and around and around um, to find a free parking space on the street rather than pay in the structures, uh, which is obviously why all this inspired Donald Shoup. And uh, we were losing a million dollars a year on. Um, on, on the parking structure debt service for these brand new, beautiful parking structures. Parking structure can be beautiful. And <laughs> um, and so the staff said, well, why don't we charge for parking? And of course, there was a huge blowback, particularly from the merchants, uh, who were, after all, competing with, with malls that have free parking. So um, I was just about to become mayor, I was vice mayor, and um, I... Insisted we lock the staff and the merchants in a room with me until we got a deal because we we're losing a million dollars a year, and uh, so it was an urgent need to, to fix it. So <clears throat> after a couple of hours of getting nowhere, uh, I made the suggestion that we, um, if we charged for parking, that a hundred percent of the parking revenue from the meters would go to the district to the merchants uh, who had organized the business improvement district and that uh, the money would go for um, streetscape improvements uh, to beautify the area over time. Uh, they would go to increased um, street cleaning because like every place else in the city, we were uh, sweeping the streets once a week, whereas the crowds in Old Pasadena were beginning to, to need much more attention. And uh, and finally, uh, enhanced security. So we instituted ultimately a, a foot patrol and even a horse patrol in Old Pasadena because of the perception of crime it had been skid row uh ironically there was almost no crime because no one there right to be victimized or to be the victims um uh, but anyway um uh, the the merchants readily accepted that deal they thought that was a, a swell deal uh the staff were irate and they they insisted that we go out in the hall and they yelled at me because i had just given up the revenue that they were they were Counting on to fill the million-dollar hole, and so I reassured them. I said, "Look, number one, we didn't give away the parking fines, right? So when people overstay, they get a sixty-dollar fine. So that money we got to keep uh, for the general fund. Um, number two, um, we would um, be enhancing our property tax and our sales tax because the area would would really blossom, um, and that all all that would go to the general fund." And, and the result was um, sales tax quadrupled, um, property tax doubled, uh, and uh, the parking structures became uh, uh, an incredible source of revenue. And to this day, the, the revenue uh, stays in Old Pastina. That inspired uh, Don's uh, academic study to figure out: well, is this a one-off, or, or are there principles here that can be utilized elsewhere? And so. Uh, a, a lot of other cities began to copy us. I used to um, entertain delegations from from other cities that would come to see this tremendous blossoming of Old Pasadena. Ironically, I'd been working on it for twenty years, but because I was mayor, everyone gave me sort of credit for this overnight success, even though it it took a long time and many, many people—preservationists, city staff, local merchants, um, uh, etc., investors, etc. Anyway, these these delegations would would invariably. Have lunch in Old Pasadena, and then make uh, an appointment with the mayor immediately after, and to to understand. And they would come in, and they'd say, "Mayor, this is amazing. We just had this lunch, and there were both Indian restaurants, Chinese restaurants, Italian restaurants, Thai restaurants. Um, you had what is it, 40, ninety restaurants in fourteen square blocks. How, how 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 does this work?" And and I told them, "Well, look, um, about half." of the uh, patrons that you see in those restaurants are delegations from other cities trying to figure out how, how we support 90 restaurants in 14 square blocks. And they would laugh. At now, you know, then I would tell them that there's no silver bullet for, for revitalization. It's not parking, it's not cleanliness, it's not security, it's not marketing. Uh, it's not the, the richness of, of the restaurants and shops that you offer. It's all of those. And um, you have to work on all of them. And you can never sit on your laurels. That's uh, part of my frustration with the now. Um, It's been such a success. It remains an amazing community. But you can't sit on your assets. Um, Ultimately, you have to continue to innovate because the world is always changing. There's always new competition. Um, Demography changes. Older people get older. Younger people come along. and uh and our society is is changing the way we the way we eat the way we shop uh changes so you can't take any of that for granted and so we have to keep doing innovative things and uh, and I don't want to run on what I did 30 years ago I want to run on what we're going to do over the next 4 years
0: right right i mean the, the parking benefits model that you all yeah. i think pioneered really is just hugely valuable the idea of keep a lot of the resources, keep a lot of the revenue raised in the community where it's raised and let people see an immediate benefit of the revenue, right? They immediately see the streets getting clean, the sidewalks getting redone, the, you know, uh, the, the, the lampposts being, you know, reinstalled, uh, right? Like let people see the benefits of this um, and, and they'll, they'll support it. If, it, if it's seen as a purely extractive policy, of course, I think very understandably, they'll oppose it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and as mayor, I insisted the staff print up little stickers that we put on every single meter in Old Pastina. That said, and, and there's a picture of it in, in Don Shoup's book, every um, penny of the revenue you're putting in this parking meter goes to enhanced security, beautification, um, and greater cleanliness. So it, we were making that direct connection for people uh, that it wasn't uh, the, the the money that they were putting in the meter wasn't disappearing in some black hole um, that it was that it was making the experience of visiting Old Pasadena more pleasant and safer.
0: Well, and so it it strikes me that 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 you know you solved I think or 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 pulled together the folks who could solve a very complicated issue. And mm-hmm. I think, as you mentioned, Pasadena to a certain extent is a victim of its own success now. Now it's, an, you know, I mean, it always has been a fairly desirable place to live, but now it's, as you say, certainly old Pasadena is kind of a remarkable little island of of, of urbanism in <laughs> a region otherwise defined by sprawl and, and, and auto dependence. I, you know, it strikes me that a huge issue that, that Pasadena faces today and that you wrestle with currently on the Planning Commission and potentially will as a council member is, the housing shortage Mm -hmm. and the housing affordability Mm -hmm. problems. You know, how do you, what, I'm curious if what what sort of lessons can be learned from the parking experience or other experiences you've had to, to get through that impasse. Cause I think it's a very similar issue where folks incumbents say, okay, new housing is only going to inconvenience me. Uh, It's going to cause more traffic. It's going to cause, it's going to take away my parking space. It's going to bring new people in who I don't like. It's going to lower my property value, et cetera. How do you flip that script and, and, put people in a situation where, as we did with parking, where now they actively see it as good. This new housing is enriching my my life and my community.
1: Well, everyone's always looking for a way to educate people to their viewpoint. And it <laughs> turns out that that's, um, particularly in these polarized times, um, a, a very challenging path. And, and maybe even um, a condescending one, right? Mm. Of like, I have the answer and let me explain to you why you're wrong and I'm right my experience on housing in particular, but on issues broader than housing, is you need to get people um, in dialogue. Mm. And, excuse me, got a little bit of a cough. Um, the dialogue uh, needs to be um, a, an intelligent one, right? Like, not like, uh, we've already proposed a 400 unit apartment next door to you that you knew nothing about and um, you hate. Um, and so let's explain to you why this is a good thing. That that's unlikely to produce positive impact. But if before that, which is the way we do, we should do planning in Southern California. Um, if you get people around the table, you get you get um, longtime residents, you get younger people, you get renters, you get homeowners, um, you get a diverse demographic cross-section of your community. You get business people, realtors, um, etc. And you enter into genuine dialogue about, well, what are the challenges? What are the issues? Um, It it turns out that that there's often common ground and that the polarization comes from, you know, being confronted with this binary black or white choice. Do you want this 400 unit apartment next door to you? Um, uh, Versus Um, How are we going to accommodate the need for people to be able to own a home or even just to afford to rent an apartment? Um, Where are you going to retire to? Uh, Where are your kids when they graduate from college or come out of the military or graduate from high school, where are they going to live? Where are the workers going to live versus having to commute from 40 miles away for a minimum wage job, which isn't going to work? Um, And when you get people of thinking about that it turns out that that people most people are fairly sensible you'll find ideologues you'll find angry people but ironically ideologues and angry people sort of self-isolate right um everyone else sort of begins to think well you're not being reasonable we we need to find a solution here and and why are you being so extreme uh we're going to just have to begin to discount your opinions because you're not really helping us and and I found that over and over again. Now, it's it's not a surefire miracle cure. It takes time, money, and patience. Uh, and it doesn't always come out exactly the way you want it to come out. Um, but it comes out in a way that that is both good for the community and sustainable. Because sometimes you can jam through a policy or um, a project. And then the lawsuits start or the initiatives start or the backlash starts and the council gets recalled. And then you you know you're back to square one for the next project or the next policy, so um, I think that dialogue is important, and and you know I, I don't mind the the label Yimby um, I I don't think like most labels it it's very helpful, but yes I I believe in housing of all types, um, uh, and and I think that they belong in every community, I believe as as you know Nolan. Uh, that it's very important that it be designed well. It's very important that it be planned well, um, and that that's not just for um, political palatability. It's because this housing is going to be around for 30, 50, 100 years, and we should design it well from the beginning, because people are going to live there, and people are going to live near there, and we want more of it. And if it's well-designed, and it fits in, and it helps people um, raise their quality of life, um, then then. We'll get more of it. Part of the backlash against new housing, certainly not all of it, maybe not even the most of it. but part of it is that sometimes it just seems ugly, obtrusive, out of place, uh, looming over, um, you know, a lower lower scale um, existing uh, housing. And so so people recoil sort of in horror uh, at it. And, and yet, ironically, Pastine is a great case study of this. We built four, five, six-story uh, apartments back in the 20s that people love now. And they walk by without a, without blinking. Um, but And they weren't lavishly designed. Some of them were fairly simple buildings. Uh, but they had good materials. They were well-designed. And design is not aesthetics. You know, it's not whether it's got a red tile roof or what have you. It's that there's a front door you can see and, and you don't have a, a ground floor floor of of grates with parking structure and carbon monoxide spewing out of it um that it's that you've got front doors and windows uh, out on the street those kind of simple design um elements uh, can make housing much more palatable and that's even more true in the so-called missing middle uh, the duplexes the the garden apartments um, the triplexes and quadruplexes well designed um, they can fit into any so-called single-family neighborhood and again we have great examples from the 20s and 30s in Pasadena of that kind of housing in historic neighborhoods that now people say oh this is the most wonderful neighborhood we shouldn't change anything it's just beautiful and um and it's got bungalow courts and it's got duplexes and it's got rear units um and uh and and people have lived with that for for generations and without batting an eye. And and then they have a heart attack um, when the state passes the law that, uh, that allows ADUs. Well,
0: you you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there. I mean, a couple of things I want to unpack a little bit. I think that, you've made this joke right but uh, we call them planning commissions but more often than not they just end up becoming reacting commissions right where
1: i literally it... made a motion when i was on the city council to rename <laughs> our planning commission the reacting commission by the way it died for like <laughs> a second.
0: yeah uh well i love it i mean it's true though right because we rather than sitting down and doing this thoughtful long-term plan where you can actually do genuine public process and mm-hmm. get a real cross-section of the community mm-hmm. to come out we we have this very ad hoc project by project proposal you know with a hearing at like 10 a.m on a tuesday and then of course you don't get a representative cross-section you get you get those sort of wackos who might have extreme preferences that don't reflect the community who show up and then we get results that don't reflect what the broader community wants and i think you're exactly right that there's a huge amount of value in sitting down and coming up with a plan and and being able to defend decisions that are made based on that plan by saying, Hey, look, we did real public process. This is what a real cross section of the community is comfortable with. Uh, you, you know, folks who don't want any housing to get built, you don't get to change the rules of the game after we've done this mm-hmm. um giant process. I, I think the and, second- and thing... developers,
1: you don't get to get three times as much um density as as we originally um agreed to. There might be some you know allowances for things like density bonuses for affordability things like that but but you have a coherent plan and you stick to it and by the way that will reduce the cost of housing because a a significant cost of of market rate and affordable housing in fact even more so affordable housing um, deed restricted affordable housing um, in the legal definition is just how long it takes to go through the process yeah uh, and how uncertain the process is and how sloppy the process is, where, where at the last minute, some, some major new requirement can be uh, inserted that you didn't budget for, didn't plan for, and now you suddenly got to pay for and finance, which may set the project back, kill the project, um, et cetera. So um, it's the, you should have very high standards and very simple process, right? Mm-hmm. Does it comply with the plan? Does it comply with the objective design standards? If so, here's the permit. Right. If not, go somewhere else or come back when you've figured out how to how to abide by the rules in this community. And, um, and that gets in the whole issue of local control versus local responsibility, which may be something we should also explore.
0: Well, I, I think that's exactly right. I think regardless of what types of rules you're going to set. I think something that's gone terribly wrong with the way we do land use planning and zoning today is everything is discretionary. Everything is up for negotiation. It's often unclear what you can and can't build. And I I think from the public, I mean, obviously, this is a problem for building housing at scale. But it's also I think this lowers public trust in the process. If they see things being built that that they had thought were illegal, you know, I might, my personal views might be that we should allow more. But If it happens through this discretionary negotiated process, it it starts to look like corruption. And I think people understandably have concerns about it. I I also want to say, you know, I know you're reluctant to use labels, but I would say if anybody's a YMB, you're a YMB, Rick. I mean, you are, as we were talking about before the phone call uh, for the recording started, you're moving into an ADU in your own backyard. So you you literally said yes in my backyard, right?
1: <laughs> Listen, um, this is complicated, maybe TMI for your listeners, but it's it's my former backyard. Um yeah. it's now my ex-wife's backyard and uh, graciously um she's allowed me to build um an ADU there. Um so we'll kind of have a family compound for for us and our three children. Um and and yes, uh by the way, there are back units uh, the date from the twenties on our block in a, mm. one of Pasadena's first historic neighborhoods. We are not one of the wealthy historic neighborhoods. The the bungalows in our neighborhood were built for working um, and middle class people back in the the teens and twenties. And and the front house is is one of those 1912 um, bungalows. And um, and I'll be in the back and and uh, my my, uh, my unit's 800 square feet, plenty of room for me and um, and and I I actually uh, believe in walking the walk, uh, both in terms of policy, but also um, in having a walkable neighborhood. Um, And uh, we have transit nearby. Uh, I can bike. Uh, Pasadena needs to do a better job on making biking safety citywide. Um, At our current pace, we're going to implement our bike plan in 25 years. That's far too long. But um, that, you know, we we have to, it's, if we preach and don't practice, um, it's going to be very, very unlikely that we'll get people to follow.
0: Right. Well, I I think we're all watching that with great excitement. And of course, Pasadena is is certainly a place where there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to to bring more people in and let people, uh, you know, experience all the great things that Pasadena has to offer. I, I want to talk about. Uh, uh, la so you've been of course working closely with the new uh, controller um you know as an angelino uh, it strikes me of course uh, your boss's election is one of the few bright spots it, it seems like the city faces so many incredible headwinds i mean we had the 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 scandal with the former uh speaker of the council uh making you know repugnant mm-hmm. remarks um population loss in the city it seems like there's a malaise sort of hanging over los angeles and you're someone who's been involved in la for a long time I- i'm wondering you know what what is the path forward for 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 los angeles can los angeles be governed is it just too big and too uh you know power is too divided What what's it going to take to fix los angeles you have 30 seconds <laughs> <laughs> well
1: let me fall back for a moment on uh on what Pope Francis says, he said, if you look at history, there is really very little uh, basis to be optimistic that, in the sense that that everything will turn out OK, because history shows that oftentimes things don't turn out OK. But he said it, if you give an equally fair reading of history, there is always a basis for hope. Mm-hmm. That, in fact, uh, sometimes even at the darkest hour. Um, people stand up and and make things happen and and and, and are able to forge progress. Uh, in fact, I've, I just had a book recommended to me, "Paradise Built on Hell," uh, about cities that have come back from devastating earthquakes or war um, and and rebuilt and, um, and and ended up thriving. So uh, I'm not optimistic about uh, Los Angeles for all the reasons you've um, articulated, but I'm very hopeful. Uh, I think that the Olympics provide um, a a great opportunity, and I've had a chance to address that in a couple of recent forums. I am not having lived through the 1984 Olympics and having um, studied the 1932 Olympics here in Los Angeles. I'm not one of those boosters that that looks on on the Olympics with rose-colored glasses. It's a a, a corporate-driven, multi-billion-dollar circus that that camps out in your town for two weeks and then goes away. But what we do have is an opportunity, since the world is coming for the World Cup in 26 and and um, the Olympics and Paralympics in 2028, we we have. Um, the opportunity to make Los Angeles what we want it to look like to the world. Uh, and that doesn't mean um, uh, sending the, the homeless folks off to Lancaster for two weeks or um, locking down the city with a militarized occupying army. It means um, community placemaking um, in, in local neighborhoods. It means accelerating some of the things that are going slowly, like building bike infrastructure uh, throughout the region. Uh, It means completing some of these major infrastructure projects, um, like uh, the transit system that we're continuing to build out. Um, But it also means uh, just kind of um, taking a breath and looking around and saying, how can we clean up um, the the messes uh, that we have? Uh, A third of our people rent burdened. uh, many people no longer being able to afford to live within 20 miles of of their work. Uh, you can't fix all that in five years, but why not? Why not do everything we can to be able to show a more a greener, uh, more sustainable, more resilient, more equitable city uh, when the world comes, and 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 then have that as the legacy of of the Olympics. That that should be the legacy. It shouldn't be that we are more famous on the world stage, or or that uh, you know corporate sponsors made a whole bunch of money. Um, we we should have uh, a genuine legacy. So uh, I hope Mayor Bass is extraordinarily successful at sort of capturing uh, this moment. Um, I I think her her phrase "linking arms" is the right one because. Uh, the flaws of the way Los Angeles government was designed um, are not going to be fixed overnight, although there is some effort at charter reform. But the people, the, the reformers 100 years ago who wrote the government for Los Angeles, they were not trying to make a government that worked. They were trying to make a government that wouldn't be corrupt. And ironically, we've now reached the bottom of the barrel in which by distributing power evenly instead of giving some people accountability, um, uh, it's possible for people to take advantage of that and to be corrupt. Um, The the structure didn't fix that problem of of human weakness. Mm -hmm. We have two council members who've, one who's just come out of jail um, after a brief sentence and one who's going to jail for a long sentence. Um, We had, as you noted, uh, one who's resigned in disgrace, uh, two who were defeated, um, and, and, a, and a clean new slate of people in the in the three citywide offices, including my boss, Kenneth Mejia. And um, it's it's a new opportunity, um, nowhere to go but up.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we, we just recorded an episode with Francis Fukuyama, and we talked about this issue of, you know, even in the best of cases, you set up institutions, and they they're well designed to solve one problem, but they decay over time, and circumstances mm-hmm. change, mm-hmm. and I think it is encouraging some of the charter reforms that are up for discussion, but but I think that's your, your point about hope is well taken. And I I hope that, that we, you know, those of us working today will have the confidence that previous generations had to say, you know, Hey, we can, we can sit down and fundamentally change how things work and, and, and solve some of these problems. You know, I think uh, part of that is
1: tangible. Um, it's not just, you know, Los Angeles would be a nicer place. Um, but uh, this livable communities initiative is an example of, of being able to actually say to people, um, in the way Ciclavia, I think, changed the way people looked at Los Angeles, biking on, on, on open streets instead of driving down crowded streets. Um, the livable communities initiative, I think, is a brilliant way of saying, not just we're going to have more housing, but we're going to have housing that that creates more livable neighborhoods, more walkable neighborhoods, more pleasant neighborhoods, more trees, um, closer to parks, um, streets that are safer to cross, uh, sidewalks that are wider, um, uh, create the kind of of neighborhoods that that Los Angeles used to be able to create and and drew people from all over the country and all over the world. Um, uh, And and to create those neighborhoods in, in the 21st century context We're not going backwards, we're going forward Uh, and that that um, people will have will have the opportunity with this concept of a 15 minute city uh, not to go to the opera in their neighborhood, not to go to a a, a professional football game in their neighborhood, but to be able to go to the dry cleaners in their neighborhood, to be able to go to the grocery store in their neighborhood, to be able to go to the coffee shop in their neighborhood, uh, to be able to go maybe to a hardware store in their neighborhood. Um, instead of getting on the freeway and driving, you know, 20 minutes to get to everything, uh, that people who walk, bike, to have good transit, um, and that, that we, we have a, a, a just a more pleasant and prosperous uh, place to live. I think that's the kind of legacy that would appeal to people. And there, um, this is not some pie-in-the-sky artist rendering. But this is actually possible if we put in place the policies and we fund the improvements uh, because as we found with the parking structures and opacity and the parking meters, if you invest in the future and you take that money that you're getting and you plow it back into security, plow it back into beautification and, and not just police security, but community security, and you plow it back into improved maintenance, um, it's uh, it gives... More opportunity for for local people to get jobs, more more opportunity for local people to start businesses, more opportunities for local people to take advantage of local services. Um, it's a it's a virtuous circle. And um, uh, that's, I think what what immigrants come to Los Angeles to find. It's what college graduates come to Los Angeles to find. And um, it is something that I think is widely appealing.
0: Well, that's something i love about this policy area is you know unlike some of the bigger more abstract questions that get people excited if we do our job here right uh, folks's quality of life immediately starts improving in very tangible day-to-day ways um i know you have a, a hard stop here uh but uh hopefully we'll have you on uh to we can talk more about bridging the gap between yumbies and new urbanists uh and uh talk about all of your the exciting things that i hope you'll have been able to do in pasadena uh in the meantime um, where can folks? Well, Nolan, get...
1: thank you for, yeah. for your groundbreaking uh, book um, and, and uh, the work you've been doing um, not only here in Los Angeles and California, but across the country. Um, on the uh, 20th anniversary of uh, Earth Day, ironically, I flew from Los Angeles to Washington to be on a, a um, Oh, I forget what they called them in those days, but it was it, it was a webinar, w- we would say today, except there was no web to, to <laughs> an ROI. Um, and we had something like, you know, 200,000 architects and whatnot watching around the country. And, um, you know, we didn't speak in these terms at the time, but my carbon footprint was ex- enormous to fly back there to talk for two minutes. And they asked me, what is the one thing in 30 seconds we could do uh, to make transportation more sustainable, make communities more livable, make cities uh, more prosperous? And I said, end zoning. And that was my contribution. And you are actually helping uh, in this national movement, uh, not not so much to end zoning as to transcend zoning. Um, to To plan in a sensible way that leads uh, to better communities rather than rigidly segregated by race and by use and by income.
0: Well, I, you know, it's I think we're in a very special moment right now. I mean, I was very fortunate to have the book come out in a in an ironic way in, in the middle of a major housing affordability crisis where a lot of folks were thinking about these things. And I think once you, you know, a lot of folks get interested in zoning because of housing affordability, and then they start to realize just how it touches on every other aspect of their life. So it's been exciting. I mean, you know, almost every city and every state in America is having conversations about, you know, what do we want city planning to do and what does that look like? Um, So very exciting stuff. Um, How can folks get connected with you and follow your work? And uh, if they're interested, learn more about the campaign?
1: Well, I just quit Twitter um, because it's become accessible and I... (laughs) um, but um, not on Blue Sky yet. Uh, not yet. I haven't been invited. Um, and uh, but I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my campaign is uh, uh, coalforcouncil.com, uh, and uh, I'm pretty easy to track down. I'm here at City Hall uh, working for a 32-year-old Blunderkind, um, as they say in German. Uh, Kenneth is an inspiring transformational leader, his, his focus is on um, making institutional change hmm. and, um, and, and long-term uh, strategic approach to, to making institutional change. Um, I think I've learned in my 40 years in public service that these things don't change overnight, um, but the fact that he got more votes than any candidate for any office in the history of Los Angeles indicates there is a hunger um, for a better future, and we're working every day to try to bring that about.
0: Well, and that's something that makes me both optimistic and hopeful for Los Angeles. Very good. <laughs> uh, Rick Cole. thank, Hull, you, thank you for joining Abundance.
1: Okay.